Hey friends, welcome back to the Semi-Seminary, and here we are another week, another episode of our Bible study series we're calling The Bible for Grown-Ups. We're in part two of our study series from a minor prophet from the Hebrew Scripture, a fellow by the name of Habakkuk. And one of the things that Habakkuk tries to address in the prophecy is what happens when what we believe in our heart doesn't seem to match with what we see in our eyes. In other words, there are times where no matter what we believe, it looks like God just doesn't seem fair. God could, God would, God should, but God doesn't. And what happens to our faith? What happens to our relationship with God? When what we expect God to do for us doesn't match what we actually see. For a lot of folks, it's what causes them to walk away from their relationship with God. They've convinced themselves that God's some sort of cosmic Coke machine where they can do the right things, put the dollar bill in the slot, hit Diet Coke, and expect the Diet Coke to come out. But that's that's not how our relationship with God works. So we can't find satisfaction that way. There's got to be another way that our relationship with God can actually bring us peace in our lives despite all of the calamity that happens in the world around us. How do we do that? Well, friend, that's what Habakkuk tries to uncover for us. I hope that you'll see what I'm seeing, and I'll see you on the other side. Well, we're in the middle of a series called Habakkuk. One of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Remember from last week that we talked about the fact that they're called minor prophets, but it's not because their prophecy is less important. It's just that we know less about them. And in fact, Habakkuk is one of those guys, those prophets from Hebrew Scripture that we know the least about. Also to remind us from last week, Habakkuk was written about the year 600 or so B.C. And God told the prophet Habakkuk, tell your people I'm going to have to destroy them because they're wicked. And chances are Habakkuk might have said, well, you're right, they are. And you know what, God, that seems relatively fair. But God added a little twist to the end and God said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, to destroy your people. And Habakkuk says, why, what, wait, hang on a second. You're going to raise up whom? Now again, there's no doubt. Habakkuk is a prophet of God's people and say, I get it. Our people are not doing all that great. But you see, the Babylonians they were much, much more evil than the people of Judah. And God said, I'm going to use these really evil people to destroy you lesser evil people. And Habakkuk basically said, I object, your honor. Objection. In fact, as you read this book, it was written with a judicial type of language. As if to say Habakkuk is going to say, God, you know I worship you. You know I'm going to honor you, but... I'm taking you, God, to court because I have evidence to prove that your actions 
are not just God. And that your actions just don't seem fair. Many people in the Bible expressed passionate, honest, even at times angry prayers. Habakkuk wasn't the only one to voice his complaints to God. Moses, Gideon, Elijah, Job, who we're in the middle of a whole nother series about, among many others, also questioned and argued with God. God listens with a sympathetic ear, and when we complain about injustice, when jolted by life's unfairness, we should realize that God was bothered by such things long before we were. In fact, injustice would not upset us at all if God had not given human beings an inherent desire for justice. Our sense of right and wrong, according to Paul, and his letter to the Romans comes from God, God alone. And because God knows our deepest thoughts, we might as well be honest with God and with ourselves, admit our feelings of outrage and at times confusion. But watch out. God's, in quotes, answer may be as perplexing as our questions. God's answer to our questions may not be what we expect. As Habakkuk, Job, and the others discover, God seldom explains God's ways or God's reasons. And if God does, people seldom comprehend God's explanation. In fact, instead, they're often overwhelmed with God's power and love. In the end, though, we may not know the answers to all of our questions, but we come to know God better. Today, if you're facing something, you say, I don't understand God. I mean, you could do something about this. If I were you, God, I would, but you're not. And I don't understand If that's the way you feel about any situation today, or perhaps maybe in a day in the future, then I'm certain, I'm certain that this examination of the Hebrew prophet Habakkuk and his prophecy will speak to you. The question that we're going to embrace today is, what do you do when you're in the dip? Now, let me take just one second. If you weren't with us last week, please Go back and listen to part one of this study series of Habakkuk. And what we did is we looked at this study by an author by the name of Steph Golden. And he uses this uh, this graph that basically shows a sine wave. A wave that has a beginning, that has a rise and a peak and down to a dip. And then it re- returns in its frequency back to the peak again. And Steph Golden, in his work, uses uh, that concept to talk about emotional and and spiritual growth. We're using it in a little bit different way today. We are, though, looking at it in a spiritual way in how we have our relationship with Jesus, with God. And if you recall from last week, one of the things that we looked at as as, as our spiritual journey, we looked at that on a graph as a beginning point. Right, as 
as someone who on the left-hand side of the, before the wave even begins, someone who, who's not really yet known Christ or not considered Christ. They've not entered into a relationship with God. And yet that someday by the power of the Holy Spirit, God reveals God's self to someone. They call out to forgiveness. We in the Christian faith, we're going to say that we're going to rest in the grace of Jesus. And spiritually, we're born anew. And often, often when that happens, our whole world, it turns upside down or rather (laughs) right side up as we're forgiven. We begin that ascent up of the crest of that first wave. And there is a huge spiritual rush of adrenaline and excitement. God starts answering our prayers. Whenever, like I said last week, we pull up the stoplights, right? All the stoplights turn green. God's just smiling on us. Everything is incredible. It's the high of a person who's just met the grace of God. But then, unfortunately, life continues. And after a while, this on-fire, excited believer may go through some more difficult times and find themselves, if you're following along in your head, the crest of the wave down in what we're going to call the dip, down in the trough of that wave. Maybe God didn't answer a prayer. Maybe this person, they they just lost their job. Maybe they started to struggle with certain sins that have come back into their life, wouldn't leave them alone. Maybe, maybe their kids started making bad decisions. Maybe maybe there's something that, that felt like God could do, that God should do, and everyone, and if God did it, everything would be okay. But in the end, God didn't. And then all of a sudden they're down here in the dip, in the trough of that wave saying, wait a minute, God, I, I thought you were, I thought you were going to be like this, you know, back when it was on top of the wave. But now, now we're down here in the dip and you're not doing God what you could. And they enter what we talked about last week. We enter what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. Now, Now, wait a minute. I thought it was going to be like this God. But after a certain amount of time goes by, my life sometimes gets worse. Why aren't you doing what I know you could? When a person enters into a crisis of belief, there's one, two very common reactions. The first one, that this person wants to go back to the top of that wave, to their last spiritual high. They want to say, basically, I'm going to pretend like whatever is happening in my life isn't happening. And I just want to go back to this point where I felt like everything was going to be okay. Or what a lot of people do is they say, okay, God, if you're not going to do what I know you could do, then God, forget you. I'm going to go back to the place I used to be and just assume that you could and you're not. And as a result, you're not that good, so I don't trust you. God, I'm just going to forget about it. And I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of that wave. 
Now, we learned last week, though, the name Habakkuk, it actually means to embrace or to wrestle. If this person who comes to this point of crisis in their faith, like we're talking about, if they, if they will continue to embrace God, even wrestle with God during difficult times, pressing into God, things may not still even get better yet. They may even continue to get worse. But the believer can believe the New Testament principle when the book of James says to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work, making you mature and complete so that you do not lack anything. To the believer who will continue to embrace God, even though things might not get better at first, this person can grow much closer to God than they ever were in the past. In fact, if you look very closely at all of those who are closest to God in Scripture, they are often those who have been through the most difficult times and God has proven God faithful. So, what do we do when it's inevitable? What do we do when we find ourselves in the dip, in between the crests of waves? Today, we're going to look at chapter 2 of Habakkuk, and we're going to speak about three specific things that we can do while you're in the dip. Hey, friend, if you've made it this far in the podcast, I was wondering if I could just take a second to ask a quick favor. However it is that you're listening to us, if you could subscribe to us, however that you're listening, if you could subscribe or follow to let yourself know whenever we have new episodes coming out. More importantly, if you could rate us, if you could provide us a review on however it is that you're listening, it really helps us out. It also gives us uh, some feedback. Just to let us know you're out there listening, you appreciate what we're doing. It's very, very kind to have caught the feedback that we've received from people so far, and we would love to hear from you. So if you could rate the podcast, if you could review the podcast, please make sure to hit subscribe or follow. That way you'll catch all of the new content here. We certainly would appreciate uh, all of it. Now back to our story tonight. Now, these three things are going to come from the very first three verses of the prophecy of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Now, here's what Habakkuk says. He's just heard the news, chapter 1, right? He's just heard the news that God is going to destroy his people. And not only are things going to get bad, they're going to get worse, because God's going to use the evil Babylonians to actually conquer his lesser evil people. And so Habakkuk says, all right, God, if that's what's going to happen, here's my plan. Verse 1, chapter 2, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give 
to this complaint, his complaint about the unfairness of God. Verse 2, now the Lord speaks up. Scripture says, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. Scripture says it speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay, says the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord speaks up. The Bible says, Scripture says, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. Scripture goes on to say, it speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay, says the Lord. What do we do when we're in the dip? What do we do when we're struggling and we know that God could do something, but God's not doing something, and God just doesn't seem fair, and life just doesn't make sense, and we're wondering, God, where are you? What are we doing? We do three things to learn from the example of Habakkuk. The first is that we stop and listen. We stop and we listen. In fact, if we look at what Habakkuk says, right? Basically, he says, God, I don't like this. I'm complaining to you. And the beautiful thing is, God seemed to respectfully hear this. It was as if God was saying, sure, you're allowed. This is allowed. You're, you're allowed to wrestle with me. He says, I, he says, Habakkuk says, I don't like what you're doing. I have stated my unease. God, I'm stating my case for the people of Judah. Now it's your turn to reply. I need some answers. God, what do you have to say for yourself? Verse one, here's what he said. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In other words, God's, I'm going to climb upon the wall and I'm going to look and see what God is doing. And he says this, he says, I will look to see what God will say to me. God, what's going on here? Too often what we do is we just whine about what's going on. And then we just go about our lives. Many of us, we never take the time to stop whining and start listening. God, what are you saying? See, here's the beautiful thing about God. God, the God of Holy Scripture, is a relational God who loves to speak to God's children. God is a God who speaks and if we'll stop to listen, God will often speak to us. How will he speak? All sorts of different ways. God can speak audibly. Now, I've, I've never heard God's audible voice. 
But I do know people who have. And I believe that God can. God can also speak to us through Holy Scripture, through God's Word. Every single day, God can speak to you through His Word. God can speak to us through our circumstance. If you look around, God can speak to you and more than anything will speak to you through other people. God will often speak to you. Sometimes God won't also. Why? Because God's God. Now here's the deal. If you'll listen to God, and if God will speak to you, you may not like what God has to say. Habakkuk in our study is not going to like what God has to say. He's, he's going to say, oh, wait, God, this is not what I was looking for. But at least when God speaks, you'll know exactly where God stands. And so you stop and say, God, I don't understand. I don't like it. This doesn't make sense, but speak. And if you were silent before God, God will in many different ways often speak to you. And often, friend, God is going to speak to you in ways you don't like. But you'll know where you stand. And if you're honest with God and honest with yourself, you'll know what God is up to. In Christian scripture in the New Testament, we also, again, see the Apostle Paul. He had what was known as a thorn in his side, a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed over and over and over and over again for God to take this thorn from his flesh. God, I know you could do something about it. God, I know you can. Please do. Take it away. Remove it. Three times, Paul begged, God, I am pleading with you. Take it away. Take it away. I'm pleading with you. Take it away. I'm pleading with you, God, take it away. And God basically said, I could, but I've decided not to. No. My answer is no. Why? Because I'm going to do something even better than take it away. And you may not understand, but I'm going to teach you that my grace is all that you need. You see, I could do that, but I'm not going to. Because I'm going to do something different inside of you. When you don't understand and when you're in that dip, you stop and you listen and you let God speak to you. What else do we do at the bottom of that wave? First thing that we do is we listen. The second thing that we can do in the dip is we write. You write what God shows you. Habakkuk said, where are you? What's going on? And God said, you know, you want to know? Habakkuk, take notes, okay? Here's what God says, verse 2 of the prophecy. Chapter 2, the Lord replied, Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Why does God want us to write it down? Well, God's going to say to Habakkuk years later, when I prove myself faithful, just and true, I want it in writing. So everybody knows that I am a God of my word. Now, 
It's also for our benefit too, because if you're like me and your wife's ever sent you to the grocery store with maybe, you know, one or two things to remember, something happens on the way, right? (laughs) Satan messes with your mind. You can mess it up too. And even though you've only got two things, right? Write it down so that you remember when, when God says something to you, you want to record it because your spiritual enemy is an expert at stealing the seeds of truth that God wants to plant. God may show you something. When God says something to you, you want to record it because your spiritual enemy is going to be an expert stealing the seeds of truth that God wants to plant. God may want to show you something, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me when, you know, you're wrestling with something and you don't understand and you're praying, God, are you there? And God's like, what's going on? And I feel like God shows me something. And I'll be like, okay, that was obviously from God. Then I don't write it down. And like an hour later, I'll be like, well, I think that was probably from God. And then like maybe a week later, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I ate too much pizza late at night. I had indigestion. And I'm blaming it on God or whatever. It's just like the sense that God's spoken seems to vanish. Unless you write it down. When you write it down, it becomes a a spiritual anchor that says, yes, I believe that God has spoken. I've got a reference point to go back to you. What do you do? What do I do? What do we do when we hit the crisis of belief? Where are you, God? I don't understand. You stop and listen. God, what are you saying? God, where are you? Then when he shows you anything at all, document it, record it, write it down. The third thing that you do when you're in the dip is... You wait. Awkward, isn't it? That silence. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't want silence. In the world we live with fast moving information bombarded on all sides, we can't even stand it with silence. We need instant return, instant gratification. And many of us, we have been conditioned to learn not to wait and not to like it when we have to. We don't want to wait. And yet, watch what God says to the prophet in verse 3. He says, for the kazon, the Greek word kazon, for the revelation, it waits It waits an appointed time. It speaks of an end. And it will not prove false. Look at what God says. He says, though it linger, wait for it. And it will certainly come and not delay. When God promises you something, you you might have to wait a while. But you can take God's promises to the bank. And you might be listening right now and you might be in the waiting zone. You believe God has shown you something. You've recorded it. Now Now you're waiting and 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 you're afraid. 
that it will not come to pass. But remember this, friend, that this is going to be proved out through the prophecy of Habakkuk, that God's delays are not often God's denials. When God promised something, it will come to pass. When you look throughout Holy Scripture, you can see example after example after example. God would promise something, and then they'd wait. Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver God's people and rebuild the nation. And Moses goes on a 40-year wandering tour. 40 years! That's like, I don't know, 200 and something in cat years, which can't be any good at all, whatever, but 40 years. And what does Moses do? Wait and wait and wait and wait. And then God brings it to pass. Joseph, God says, you're going to be a great leader. What happens? His brother, his brothers, they, they gang up on him. And they beat the snot out of him. They throw him into a pit. They sell him into slavery. Now it gets worse. He spends two years in prison, and it's years before God fulfills the promise and elevates him to set him to second in charge over the whole of Egypt. The Apostle Paul has a vision, meets Christ. Paul is transformed. He says, I'm called to preach. That's what I'm here to do. This is it. This is all. I am compelled to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the one thing I've been put on the earth to do. And then it's 13 years before he ever says, God says, open your Bible and turn to this. 13 years before he gets to preach his very first message. Sometimes we just wait. But here's what happens. A lot of people think, okay, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting, but I've been waiting so long now. Now I feel like I'm stuck here. When they think of waiting, they don't think of any movement. But what does a waiter do? No, not a trick question. What does a waiter do? A waiter serves, right? Here's what you do when you're waiting. You serve God the whole time. It doesn't mean when you're waiting that there's no movement. In fact, there may be more movement when you're waiting than ever before. You're serving the Lord. Whatever you do, you turn Whatever you do unto the glory of God, you continue to wait on God. You serve God. You see, even when you don't understand, you continue to serve God and you wait on God. And at the appointed time, the Hebrew word for appointed time is the word moad. And what's that word moad means? It means an appointed and a fixed time. At the Moad, at the exact right time, it's coming. So like a woman who's nine months pregnant. When it's time, it's time. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's time. When it's Moed, whatever that time is, there's nothing you can do to speed it up. There's nothing when it comes that you can do to slow it down. 
because it's God, it's God's time. There is absolutely nothing you can do. Wait for it. You want to know how long Habakkuk waited for it? A long time. In fact, most of his people didn't even get to see the redemption come about. It actually happens in the next generation when God's promise was fulfilled. Even if you don't see God's promise fulfilled, they, they will be fulfilled because God's word is absolutely true. And you might be in that waiting zone. You're in that dip and you believe God's promised you something, but you just don't see it. So I want to reread this verse, but this time I want to read this from the Living Bible Translation. And when I do, I really pray that this speaks spiritual encouragement to you. Here's how the Living Bible translates this. These things I plan, God says they won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when division will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. God says, Habakkuk, do this. Listen, I'm going to speak to you. Take notes. Write it down and wait. And what you're going to say is that I understand that the Babylonians are bad and you think they need to get theirs. Well, they're going to get theirs. When I'm ready, they're going to get it. And, and Habakkuk, when they do, it's going to be good. Right? It's kind of like whenever you're a kid and you do something wrong and your mom says, <laughs> wait till your father gets home. That ever happened to you? Used to scare the fire out of me. I don't think my dad, I actually don't think my dad actually ever did anything to me, but it was just it was just the fear and wait until he gets home. And I'd be like, oh goodness, I better be praying to Jesus right now. Right? Because this is what basically saying is you just wait, because I am the Heavenly Father who is just and righteous, and they will get due punishment for their sins. Here's how God says it. In verse four, he says this. He says, see Babylon, he's puffed up. Babylon thinks it's all about him. Say Babylon is saying, we don't need to follow God's rules. We've got it all together. We've got it figured out. We, you know, this God stuff, it doesn't apply to us. His desires aren't upright. And then if you skip ahead and maybe take a note on your note notes, if you look at verses six through 19, you can read this. Uh, I hope that you will, I hope that this encourages you to go and read it for yourself, right? We just don't have time in this edited episode to go into all of it. But what you're going to find is that God very, very boldly issues something called the five woes to Babylon. And what he's going to say is, I know what they're doing, and I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm going to punish you. And then I'm going to, as a result, I'm going to give you the cliff notes. I'm going to give you the high points of it. In verse six, 
God is speaking to the Babylonians who are thieves and they're stealing. And he says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. You're going to pay for what you've done. In verse 9, he's talking to cheaters, to deceivers. He says, woe to him who builds his realm by unjustly gain. You're going to have what's coming to you. In verse 12, in 12, he's talking to those who are violent. He says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. In verse 15, he's talking, you know, well, to the partiers. He says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors. Verse 19, he's talking to idolaters, those who believe their meaning is going to come from, you know, things of the world, things that are a humankind created. And God says, woe to him who says to wood or objects, come to life. You're going to fulfill me. You're going to satisfy me. And God says, in my time, wait for it, and you will see that my punishment is absolutely just. They are going to get what is coming to them. Wait for it. My word is good, says the Lord. Let's look at verse 4 one more time. We'll pick up the second part of the uh, verse this time. Here's where God says, this is uh, what many people believe to be the key verse in the whole of the prophecy of Habakkuk. Here's what scripture says. God says, see Babylon, they are puffed up. His desires are not upright. But there is another group of people, God says, that I'll call the righteous. But the righteous, how do they live? Prophecy of Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. Prophecy, the words of God through the prophet Habakkuk, is saying the righteous, those who are mine, God says, they're going to live not by what they see, not by what's going on around them, but instead the righteous, no matter what is happening, they're going to live by faith. And what will they have faith in? They'll have absolute faith in whatever God has said. They've listened. They'll have faith in what they've recorded and believing God has spoken. And they will have faith to wait on God to fulfill God's promises, even when life looks like it's going backwards, even look like it looks like it's slipping downhill, even when it doesn't make sense. And when everybody else says, you know what you should do is forsake this God because God's not coming through for you. The righteous is not going to live by what they see, but rather by their faith. The righteous will live by faith that God will be true to God's word. In fact, if you ever want to be built up in your faith, I would encourage you, please, read in Christian scripture the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. It's known in uh, seminary is the faith chapter. And it'll go through a list again and again and again of how people from uh, from Hebrew scripture have lived by faith. Let me hit you just a, fi- a few of the high points uh, from in my own words. By faith, we believe the word is formed at God's command. We believe this by faith. By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham and Sarah past the age of childbearing, but God brought them a son. He was brought to them by faith. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac. And God says, you don't have to do this. You've proven that you love me by your faith. By faith, the people of God 
marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. By faith, the people of God walked through the Red Sea as it parted on either side. They came through and they weren't even wet and the Egyptian followed them, drowned in the Red Sea. The people did this by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We as the people of God, my children, how will we live by faith? So when God promises you a child and you can't conceive, you believe by faith that God will bring it about. And you know what? Maybe God will give you a child by birth. Maybe God will give you a child by adoption. But you continue to believe in faith. Whatever you're giving, you feel like maybe you don't have enough money left for the rest of the month. Join the club, right? But you're being obedient to God's worth by faith. You believe that God will be your provider. When your marriage is falling apart and everyone says, you might as well get a divorce. You say, no, I remember the vows that we made. By faith, I believe all things are possible through God. When your kids are making the wrong decisions and everyone else is telling you, man, your kids just going to kill themselves. They're going to be a mess. You believe by faith that God is working in their lives to bring about good to those who love God. Call to God's purpose. You continue even when things are going the opposite wrong way. You're going to continue to live by faith because we don't walk by what we see, but what we believe. Now, what happens when you're living by faith and in your lifetime, you still don't believe what God promised? There's three things you have to remember. You never let go. Friend, never let go of these three words. If you want, no matter what, to continually be be, uh, growing closer to God, The three words you remember on your journey towards intimacy, towards ultimate trust and faith with God will be these three words, but the Lord. And you find these words in verse 20 of Habakkuk chapter two, when Habakkuk says, even though I understand, and even though I don't like it, and even though I don't really want to believe that this is what's actually going to happen, Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The prophet says the Lord is still in charge. He's still good. He's still righteous. He's still true. The Lord is still there, even though everything else says what I don't want to hear, but the Lord is in his holy temple. And then Habakkuk says, let all of the earth be silent before him. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar's tell me to bow down to worship. He throw me in this fiery furnace. They say, he tells us we're going to to die, but I believe, I believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down. We are still going to believe. Why? Because we believe the Lord is in his temple. 
because we believe the Lord is still on the throne. And I'll live by faith. What do we do when we're in that trough, when we're in the ditch, when we're in the dip? We listen, we record it, we wait with everything in us, living by faith because the Lord is in his holy temple. God, we hurt with those for those that are in that ditch. We know the loneliness, the anxiety, the crisis of belief can be so difficult. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would minister to us. And just like you said to the Apostle Paul when he begged you to do something different, may your grace be enough for us. God, like Habakkuk, we choose to embrace, to push into you. And even when things get worse, we're going to continue to choose to embrace you. God, help us. Teach us not to live and walk by sight, but walk by faith. God, speak to your people. Pray that they'll be bold enough to record what you say. And God, when you have spoken, we'll wait. We'll wait on the Moad that exact appointed time, knowing there's nothing we can do to speed it up. And God, when you're ready, there's nothing we can do to slow it down. So God, we will wait on you. I want you to know that if you're listening right now and and you're one of those that feel like maybe you're in that dip, you're in that ditch, I want you to know that that prayer is for you. And I want to encourage you. Encourage you to embrace and wrestle with God. It's okay to be angry with God. There's nothing more important, though, than your engagement with God. Through prayer, through seeking, through hoping for that peace that's there for you. The good news, again, doesn't happen at the end of our story. This is not a sitcom lesson. Rather, it's a lesson about God's justice and God's might, but also God's love for us as God's creation. Sometimes we are but spokes in that wheel. It doesn't feel that great. It's not, we love to be the star of our own stories, but that's the problem with our faith. We can't be the star of our own story. We are but a waiter. We are here to serve God. God is at the center of our story. And it's through that perseverance, it's through that faith, it's through that understanding that it's not about us, that that peace that you're looking for in your life, friend, that's, well, that's where it comes from. At least it's something to think about. I hope that you'll enjoy this. I hope that you'll uh, join us next week. Anyway, I hope you'll join us next week here on the Semi-Seminarian as we wrap, wrap up the prophecy of Habakkuk. And until then, friends, 
Be blessed.